Welcome into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back with you for another episode. Micah, last time we talked, it was all on the football field. The Washington football team unfortunately lost to the Saints. Another crushing defeat. The defense was bad once again. Taylor Heineke against a good uh, defense was not up to par. And they fall to 2-3 and three with a gauntlet of a schedule coming up. Now, coming into today, into today, we plan for our usual preview for where do, where do we stack up uh, good against the Chiefs, what are we worrying, final score predictions, all that good stuff. And then we woke up this morning to news that the Washington football team announced on a Thursday before a game on Sunday that they are retiring probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest Washington football team slash Redskins player of all time in Sean Taylor. No months in advance, no week in advance, but days in advance to Sunday to whether it's cover up the email scandal that is going on, whether it's to cover up and try to boost some attendance uh, last minute. They took their time and they decided we're going to drop it on a Thursday morning uh, before anybody could plan for it. So, Micah, when you saw this news, what were your first initial thoughts? Well, my very, very first initial thoughts Unfortunately, and let me just preface this by saying we are both lifelong Washington football team, formerly the Washington Redskins um, fans, and we have a reverence for Sean Taylor, our rest in peace. It's um, different. It's different. It's different. It's, it's different. And it's something that I don't know can be equated, you know, anywhere else in the league just because of the point he was taking from us, what he was doing. Up until that point, literally, I mean, the game before, he almost picked off Brett Farr four times. He ended up with, like, two or three of them. Like, this is the caliber of player that we're talking about, and he was taken from us. So, naturally, whenever the time was going to come to officially retire his jersey, and it's always been um, retired in in theory. There's Nobody's worn 21 since he's worn 21. There's multiple shrines and things like that around FedEx, and I'm sure there's... He's in the Ring of Fame, too. Exactly. There's, There's so much around the name and the player and the man and when you see this news unfortunately like because of everything else has happened i mean bro the first thing i thought of was the worst like oh wow they just pr cover up what's been going on in their front office with sean taylor like you know retiring his number and then you get more deep into it bro and it's like okay well there's a level of pride and happiness at the fact that they're honoring this and making it an official Washington football team actually um doesn't necessarily retire them there's a lot of retired numbers in spirit guys that you'll never see uh wear jerseys again but there hasn't been an official thing so Sean Taylor getting this distinction is great and part of me is really happy that this is happening because this is somebody that we grew up watching and this is something that should have happened if not that year that same season uh, you know a couple years down the line but it's always good for it to happen but Unfortunately, with the box that the Washington football team front office, honestly, has put themselves in, there's almost just, it's almost coming to what this decision here that you have to make as a fan where it's either you feel like they messed up or you feel like you're being lied to. And I think that's the worst spot to be in. There's a honest, true distrust of anything that goes on. And there's going to be a lot of people that still feel that Sean Taylor um, is being used almost as a scapegoat here to kind of get out of things. And it's really, really unfortunate, bro. Um, and that's where my brain has been really as soon as I saw it and from there on. It's like, you know, when we talk about things being planned and one of your franchise's greatest players who was taken at the height of his powers 
This is something that you would plan in advance. Any smart marketing operations, PR team, communications, whatever you want to go, however you want to take it, I should say, they're going to be able to plan this in advance, have it scheduled, you know, way in advance to the point where they're releasing the schedule. It'll be noted, hey, this is homecoming week. Even if it was against the Chiefs, let's just take that. Let's say that this is true and they've been planning this all along. If this is against the Chiefs that weekend, sure, okay, whatever. It's homecoming weekend, sure, okay, whatever. And Sean Taylor's jersey was going to be retired. This is something that should have been noted by the Washington football team. Once again, operations, front office, PR, anybody that has the ability to give us information should have told us this information if this was really a thing that's been in planned in motion months in advance because that's how you, for one, sell tickets. Which is, I mean, at the baseline, this is a business, so this is kind of important. But also, it's how you get fan service in here. What Washington football team fan, honestly, let's say a Washington Redskins fan, isn't going to travel across the country to memorialize Sean Taylor. This is an opportunity to get fans back involved. And I just think, because of the timing and things like that, you're getting, as I mentioned, just a really, really crappy situation where it feels like the, I'm not going to say the legacy is tarnished, but the fact that we're doing this on the eve of, multiple allegations, more allegations actually dropped from just the Bruce Allen thing. I mean, it's so much that's being uncovered. And, of course, the on-field product is not the best. And it just gets us a situation, man, where you just feel real disingenuous about something that we should be celebrating. And it's a terrible, terrible feeling, but I can't escape it. I really can't, and it sucks. The last thing you said, I believe, is the most important, and that's the people that aren't able to go to the game on Sunday because of the late notice. I currently, I live in Connecticut now, and if I would have known beginning of the season, hey, this weekend against the Chiefs, Sean Taylor's number is going to be retired. It's going to be the craziest atmosphere in FedEx Field since Lord knows when. I'm making my way down to D.C. I'm finding a way to get that ticket because this is such a big moment for us. Like you said, for people like us, 23, 24, probably 26, 28, under that, we haven't seen anything good with this team in the slightest. There's no big moments. Our favorite years are Sean Taylor, RG3 one season, Kirk Cousins making the playoffs, and then last season with Chase Young getting the rookie of the year, we have a 7-9 playoff team, and oh, we almost beat the Super Bowl champions. If you put that into perspective, there is not much to root about. That's why we were so excited going into the season because it was like maybe we have something to root about. And it's just situation after situation each and every week, and it's tiring. Today was actually the first time I was like, man, do I want to be a fan of this team anymore? Like, is it worth my time and energy to keep wasting my time with this team? There are other players I like in the league. I mean, the Cardinals were a terrible organization for a long time there. They went to the Super Bowl. They kind of lulled, and they were going through the motion. Oh, they found their guy in Josh Rosen. Nope, they move on for him. You get Kyler Murray, look at where they are now, undefeated. You look at the Jacksonville Jags. The Jags were a terrible organization for the longest time, and they were able to fluke their way to an AFC championship game. They stopped or rebuilt it, and rebuilt it again, and now they have the QB of the future in Trevor Lawrence. The Bengals were the laughing stock of the AFC North, and they found their guy in Joe Burrow. And each and every year, we've tried to build momentum for this team, and it just doesn't work out. It's just thing after thing that is killing this team and this fan base. We are the worst in attendance by far for a reason. Dan Snyder, this organization has taken 
what used to be a proud fan franchise and still the fifth most valuable franchise in the NFL and I believe still a top 10 uh, valuable franchise in the world and has turned it into this because he doesn't care about the fans. He doesn't care about the money. He only cares about the money. Everything else doesn't matter to him. This is clearly, and I don't care what any of the PR people say, this was because of what the email sh uh, showed this week. Yep. One, earlier this year, there was a retirement at uh, FedEx Field. You know when they announced the when the retirement was going to happen, Micah? <laughs> Please tell in us. In June. In June <laughs> of this, before the season started. In a prime time, in a prime time game, a prime time slot. Two, Brian Mitchell, who is, I believe, should be a Hall of Famer, who is in the Washington football team, Ring of Fame and everything. He said, yeah, he had heard that Sean Taylor's, um, they were going to uh, memorialize Sean Taylor, that they were going to do things for him during alumni weekend. But he was stunned and found out that, wait, they're retiring his jersey? He didn't know. So I believe that, yes, they were, they were going to do something for Sean Taylor this weekend, but it wasn't going to be retiring his jersey until a couple of days ago. All these emails came out. I saw a tweet earlier that, uh, that uh, basically whenever there was a situation with the Washington football team, you would see that they would do something to kind of counteract that. So the big expose drops. The Washington football team is removing their name from Redskins to Washington football team. You have the things in the middle of the season with uh, the Dan Snyder situation, uh, the harassment allegations. They dropped the Dwayne Haskins video. Let's bring it back to football. Let's let's make him the scapegoat. And now you see, oh, more emails, more harassment allegations, paying people off by the Washington Post. And on top of that, you now throw Sean Taylor, who is a great and one of my favorite players of all time, if not my favorite player of all time. You just go ahead and use him as a pawn piece. So... Honestly, this is the most disappointed I've been in this team, and you have many opportunities to be disappointed, but it's just so disappointing to see week after week something is always happening. Not only do we get the DEA to rate us, but we have Washington Post expertise almost every other week. It's tiring, honestly, to keep talking about this team with the football being so bad and then everything outside of the football being bad. I know Ron Rivera and Jason Wright came in here to turn this ship around, but at this point... It doesn't look like anything's going to be turned around. It's, de as long it's as deeper. Yeah, it's deeper than them, bro. Like, I mean, and you mentioned a great point that they came in here with the idealized, you know, like, hey, we're going to try our best to, you know, weather the storm and make these things happen. But, dude, I don't think that they, those two guys who are great men who are, I believe, are actually promoting change and trying to be the pillars of change in this franchise for the time being and probably for the future. I don't know if they can do anything at this point, bro. Like this is, this is a sinking ship and it's not a sinking ship by just, you know, the player standards. Like I don't think that the football team is the very worst thing. They suck right now, but if anything, the football team is going to be your saving grace this year. And I think honestly, the football team is better than some of this news. I mean, yes, it's still terrible, but I guess they were probably hoping that the football team will be better to kind of distract this a little bit, but no, we're getting, Bad Washington football team football, and we're getting terrible front office news. I, the combination is just almost too much for fans to bear. Like I said, if fans want to leave and, and ditch the ship, I don't blame you. If you want to leave until Dan Snyder is gone, like literally gone, like he has no affiliation with the Washington football team, I don't blame you. If you don't want to be a fan until the entire um, Wilkinson report gets put out, I really don't blame you because that in itself is an injustice. I, I don't blame fans for being totally upset, and I think 
whoever is, you know, making the decisions on things right now has to really understand the position in all of this because you will literally lose whatever fans you have left by pulling stunts like this, especially in Sean Taylor's, uh, you know, in his name. Like, you don't you don't trifle with that guy and what he represents to this team and to this franchise. So, it's just a bad situation, bro. I, I'm getting I'm getting head hurts and headaches just thinking about it right now again. It's, it's a lot. It actually, it just hurts. Like, it's not even a angry thing. I'm yeah. just sad that this is what this organization has come to. And I guess, I mean, I haven't known different of what this organization was at the top, but... It right. just feels like each year it's uh, going lower and lower. Before we get into the game, we also do still have to discuss um, 650,000 emails, John Gruden getting fired. Bruce Allen obviously was on the other end of those emails. My question really isn't about the John Gruden situation. It's more about um, what surrounds it. Do you believe that we end up seeing more of these emails? And what do you think comes from that? I do think that. On some level, that there will be leaks that happen, um, and I think these leaks are going to come sporadically. Like as you're seeing right now, with the John um, Gruden and Bruce Allen kind of email chain being highlighted, you've seen somebody lose their job. And while I don't necessarily think that a lot of the people that would be involved in these emails aren't necessarily, are necessarily in the game still, I still think there's going to be a lot of repercussions and there's going to be a lot of information put out there, like what we got from the Washington Post. These things are they're not necessarily tied together because different sources have different news. But in the overarching scheme of things, the plan here by, I mean, and you can, you know, it could be by media, it could be whatever the case might be, who's really trying to orchestrate these leaks, is to tarnish the name. And the tarnishing of the name is going to keep happening because there was an entire investigation. Now, while, you know, the particulars of it aren't released to the public and the NFL has kind of closed sealed this thing, the seal is going to get open whether we like it or not. There's only so much dirt that the NFL is trying to hide, and I think it implicates some people that it doesn't you know, want to implicate, which is owners. And while I do think that the owners have this little bit of um, this wave of untouchable, uh, you know, this untouchable wave about them because they are the people that own the teams, and at the end of the day, the commissioner himself works for the owners, I do think that there's going to be some lower-level guys here, like you know, a John Gruden or maybe some um, essential front office staff and things like that. They're going to be looked in a really, really different light. And I think, you know, if we were the investigative reporters here or whatever, you know, we would look at, investigative journalists, I should say, we would look at who was, you know, resigning for jobs this year. And it's interesting that, you know, in the two franchises that, you know, the two clubs that have been affected so far, there was a wave of resigns just happening in the offseason. And it makes you wonder, what is really going on here? Like, if there's a, you know, is there somebody in there that's tipping some of these guys? That the information is being leaked is a situation where it's going to be full WikiLeaks style and we get a whole document, which I would love. Um, but I do think that this is going to keep going. I don't think that they're going to be able to sweep this under the rug any longer. And I think the, the point of this here is to out-leverage Dan Snyder and what the NFL is trying to cover up for him. So I'm all for this being leaked because I think this has to be out there and this is something that needs to happen, not only for the franchise, but for the NFL. Um, but I do think it's going to take a lot of people out and it's going to be ugly, but... Sometimes ugly needs to happen. Yeah, I agree with you there. I honestly, I don't know where these leaks are coming from because you would think that, at least from my point of view, it started off that NFL obviously released these leaks on John Gruden because Roger Goodell mm -hmm. owners, they wanted him to leave because what what they saw. But then at the same time, it's like, why would they release that 
and bring up the emails back into the forefront and bring up the Washington football team investigation back into the forefront since we didn't get any information from that um, from that report from Beth Wilkerson. So after looking at it, I'm like, it might be somebody else out there who has these emails that is going ahead and leaking these things. To be honest, at this point, Dan Snyder has done enough that I don't think that anything really incriminating, unless it's him literally on uh, tape saying like terrible things, is going to have him removed from the Washington football team. I do think the emails could be bad, and maybe just of everything together that the emails are just like the cherry on top that finally lets that avalanche start rolling that Dan Snyder decides to leave. But I do think it's important. The What we keep forgetting in this situation is that there are women that decided to come out and mm-hmm. put their name on what happened in the Washington football team. Dan Snyder, at the beginning of this investigation, tried to pay these women off. They said no and continued to put their name on wax about the situation going on there. It doesn't matter about me or you, Michael, or any fan. It's about these women getting what they believe it should be a report released to them about what happened and what they believe should happen to Dan Snyder and the team. A $10 million fine and a slap on the wrist in air quotes, Tanya, Tanya Snyder, uh, Snyder taking over the organization is not doing it. That's not what is going to get people to be like, oh, yeah, I feel like me putting my name out there and all the harassment and all the therapy I've been to because of this organization is going to get me through it. But at a point, the NFL has to step up. I don't care if it leaves you open for other situations. But if owners, because they're so scared of what is in their closets, are going to protect somebody like that. I mean, we we see how they treated Colin Kaepernick. We see how they treated other people in the NFL. I guess we're not supposed to be surprised with what this team is doing at this point. Um. Yeah, who knows what's in store for us next week. I mean, it's just something new every week. We talked about Ryan Vermillion last week, the DEA. Now we're back with this Sean Taylor um, and email situation. So 18 minutes into the pod, Micah, we haven't talked any football. So let's actually get into the game um, that's happening on Sunday. I guess we don't really have much to talk about the game because um, it's the Kansas City Chiefs coming to D.C. this week, Micah. Awful loss, very angry. I guess we will do this exercise because we always do, but um, where do you think we have an advantage against this Kansas City Chiefs team? I think the advantage um, is in the oh well, I think the advantage is in the Washington football team's D line against their O line. Um, of course, looking at it on paper, looking at it in practice, Patrick Mahomes has been, um, and actually the entire offense for the Chiefs has been a little bit effective negatively by what teams are doing this year um there's kind of this um, aura about the chiefs that they've been quote unquote figured out and i don't necessarily think they've been figured out i think teams are really scheming them and they're using a conglomeration of three years of dominance to kind of be like okay this is what we can do to limit them and make them make mistakes but the one thing that has been consistent really since i mean that first super bowl run that the chiefs went on is that their o-line has not performed as well as it has needed to and that's, you know, with changing names, changing players, changing personnel. They just haven't really stepped up to the plate. And I do think that if the Washington D-line wants to make, you know, their voices known and wants to make they themselves heard on the field and really in the media to kind of quiet some of the stuff down, I think, once again, this is a week where they have to show up. Now, there's a lot of ways that you can counter what the Washington football team does. And we've seen it every single game this year, really, except the last and even in the last game. 
there was just big plays made down the field that kind of counteracted whatever the defensive uh, line was doing. What I mean, game plan wise, I would assume that the Chiefs are going to try to attack them deep, which is basically what the Saints' game plan ended up being. They almost lucked into it by accident last week, but that's what the Chiefs are going to come up to do. Now, the interesting thing here about the D-line situation is, I mean, yes, they were getting pressure with four a little bit last week, and they might get it again this week, but the last thing you want to do is play a really soft zone coverage and have Pat Mahomes pick you off. I mean, you know, it might be working at times or whatever the case might be, but, dude, I, I just don't see that being the case to kind of, you know, spark this team to a win i do think that you're gonna to have to take a little bit of a risk i'm not saying blitz every now and i'm not saying that at all because you'll just get killed because it's a you know a man replace situation and we don't really even have mans to replace i mean the coverage unit is terrible but i think you just have to show different fronts um there's been a lot of two high looks that's worked against the chiefs I and mean, we kind of run two high looks you want to keep doing what you're doing i mean the biggest thing for me is the kind of co- you know compliment what the d-line can do this has to be personnel changes and i don't know if there's going to be personnel changes but there should be if there's personnel changes on the back end and there's enough in the tank just to spark it i'm not going to say a win because i do think a win is far-fetched but i don't think they get decimated by the chiefs in their deep passing game so i do think that for the washington football team to kind of stay in this game and keep it relatively close to a point where they can even be fractionally considered to win a game, their D-line is going to have to really, really step up to the plate. And what that comes with is some interesting things on the back end. You're not going to be able to stop the Chiefs, but you'll be able to suppress them. And I do think that if, you know, both those sides kind of complement each other, I think it happens. But it all starts, once again, right on the D-line. I've, at this point, just gotten to the point where I'm like, well, every team's going to score 30 on us, so I can't really say the D-line is going to be an advantage because they aren't changing the game. Yes, Last week, Chase Young showed up with a sack fumble. We had a we had a sack fumble. We had a interception. We had uh, so many things go well for the Washington football team. Yet they still lost to the Saints. So for me, I'm just not going to be able to look at the defensive end as a positive, no matter the, how strong I think the defensive line unit. And I think they played very well against the Saints. So I'm going to go to the offense, the Chiefs defense is so bad that I think that they have we have an advantage there. Um, we don't know what's going on with Chris Jones yet. He didn't play Sunday Night Football. If he's not available Monday, you have an advantage. That O-line has been able to dominate um, almost everybody this year except for that Chargers uh, line with Joey Bosa. But you can go ahead and potentially run on them. The secondary is bad. I mean, Sorison is getting beat almost every three plays, he's looking like Landon Collins out there. So if Taylor Heineke can actually play a good game, contrary to what he did against the Saints where he was terrible, they could have easily had 30-plus points if he put the ball in the money a couple of times. So the offense will be my biggest advantage going into this game against the Chiefs. Now, I think it's pretty obvious, Michael, but what's the disadvantage that the Washington football team has to fare? Bombs away. Oh my God, the D backs. I look, man. <laughs> we know what the Chiefs do. And honestly, my biggest fear about this game, which I mean, it's probably going to be a reality, let's just be honest, but we'll see, is that the D line, I mean, you know, they're going to do whatever they want to do, but the D backs just, nothing gets changed. There's bad communication. They're trying to play a soft zone, and a guy like Landon Collins is supposed to have middle of the field. Looks down at a dig by Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill is going like 75 yards, and it happens three times. That's what I'm worried about. 
I mean, dude, our D backs, they just they don't tackle well, like and 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 they don't you know they don't do much well, really. I think the one thing that they, I guess, probably do maybe. Actually, no, they don't. I was going to say they played the ball well, but we just saw the damn Hail Mary where nobody went for the ball. So, you know what? I don't, the D-backs do nothing well, and I think that's going to get – I mean, they've already been exposed, bro, but I just think it gets worse at this point. So, I mean, that's that's really the biggest disadvantage right there. I mean, you're going to have situations where Landon Collins is going to try to play Travis Kelsey or he's going to have to try to match Tyreek Hill in a deep zone, and that's just going to be comical to watch. Like, I, I – that's going to be really, really funny. Um, something to look for, actually, with the Chiefs. If Josh Gordon is active, which he should be, I mean, you might see a situation where Josh Gordon even goes off. That's just how bad the Washington football team's um, back end is. And, you know, if it does happen, bro, it's expected. If they show up marginally, I would be honestly happy. But I'm not expecting it. I'm expecting 350-plus pass yards for Pat Mahomes. And we're having the same conversation next week about what does the D-backs need to do. There's no, I have no hope in them, so they're the biggest disadvantage. You said it perfectly. The DBs, Tyreek Hill is going for 200 yards. Patrick Mahomes is getting right with 400. Travis Kelsey will add another 100. It's going to be bad. They don't need to run the ball against this front. Why Why waste their time doing it? Edward said Lara's out, so you might as well just throw the ball all over the place. You're not going to get any stop from that back end there. The DBs have been terrible. They don't seem like they're going to change anything, so if they're not going to change anything, might as well just keep going. Might as well just keep throwing the ball. Um, the last time the Chiefs played an NFC East team against the Eagles, they dominated them. I just want to get the exact numbers, so I'm making sure that I am correct with my um, correct with my figures here. But I do believe that uh, Tyreek Hill had 186 yards, three touchdowns, 11 receptions. Patrick Mahomes was 278, five touchdowns. Uh, Edward Hilaire was 102, uh, and then Damian Williams was 10 for 42 with the carries. So looking at that, I could see more of the same. You get 400, you get 100 from Hill, you get 100 from Kelsey, because Lord knows we can't cover a tight end. So I'm not really in the business of even trying to pretend like this game is going to be anything interesting. I mean, hopefully they're able to live stream the halftime show. That can That would be the only thing that I really want to be tuned in for. So it's that time because I can't really make a conversation on how do we win because there was a real conversation we had last week about beating the Saints, but there's no real conversation about beating the Chiefs this week. So give me your final score, Michael. So for the final score of this game, I have the Chiefs overtaking the Washington football team. Um, I do think that the offense was going to be able to show up, um, and I do think that at the very least they could score twice and maybe put a field goal, and I do think that the Chiefs are going to be able to put up in, you know, the 30s plus, man. So I really have this going like 34 to 17. And I mean, the offense is going to do what the offense does. But I just think that there's going to be too many miscommunications on the defense for the offense to try to step up. And unfortunately, and really any team in the NFL, once you get down a certain point, when your script goes out the window, your effectiveness as a football team is dead. I mean, that's why comebacks are so important and why some, you know, they're so revered because coming back, is really really hard and you have to abandon your script and basically just play on the fly a lot of teams can't do that and the ones that do they usually make it to the playoffs and win super bowls Washington football team is not there yet once they're down by a lot they're going to be down so 34 17 is what i'm going with and i think the chiefs kind of cruise their way to a win 40 to 20 the chiefs are going to be able to do whatever they want with the offense 
I think the Washington football team offense will be able to move the ball to start against the Chiefs. But once you have to abandon it and just going into throwing, Taylor's going to have a couple of more INTs. This is going to be a bad game. The Chiefs will take over the stadium. You have halftime, which is going to be very sad. People are going to be upset. And we just keep on moving on because it's not going to get any easier from here. So anybody out there, start watching your QB tape. There are a lot of great games out there for potential uh, QBs that the Washington football team can be looking at. Um, Matt Corral is going to be playing this week. Um, Kenny Pickett is back from a bye week. So a bunch of QBs out there to go and watch, to go and scout. Um, Carson Strong, uh, Spencer Rattler's out of that picture now. UNC, um, Sam Howell, My potentially. Boy, Sam Howell, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of guys that we can go ahead and watch and see who could potentially be that guy for the Washington football team because at this point, I don't know what else – is there for us to do. And before we leave, Micah, what everybody's saying that this is a down year for QBs. What are the chances that the two times that we need QBs, we're in the off years? We got the Haskins year and then whoever QB that we draft this year. I feel like that would just make us like the most unlucky franchise ever because I don't think we're the type of organization that if we drafted QB one, we're not moving off of him year one to go draft a Kyler Murray. So I feel like if we don't get this QB right pick next year, we're going to be in the same purgatory for another three years. It's very high stakes. And, I mean, you mentioned it, like, especially with what this team is projected to be and what they're kind of building towards, the last piece is supposed to be the QB. So whoever this regime decides to draft that QB, which is going to be their first QB drafted, and I'm pretty sure it's coming this year, you're going to be in a situation where you're stuck with that guy. So the importance of getting the right guy for the scheme, for the system, for what Scott Turner is trying to run, for the culture of the football team, it's really, really big. And, man, if they handle it like they handled everything else this season, then, Mike, we're going to be here having the same convo in October 14th, 2022, being really upset that nothing went right. Hopefully, you know, hopefully they changed my mind. Hopefully they proved me wrong. But, man, <laughs> I just got a sour taste in my mouth. But the importance of QB drafting this year is absolutely right. Yeah, and hopefully they get it right. We did see um, from John Kime earlier that uh, Martin Herney loves scouting QBs, and he was one of the few people banging on the table that Justin Herbert would be the best out of that draft class. If his track record tracks the way it is, then hopefully we should have one here uh, next year uh, going forward. Not saying Taylor, anything's wrong with Taylor, but against the two good defenses he's played, He's clearly lacked the ability to show that he can be that guy uh, for years to come. That's going to wrap up this pod. We'll be back Sunday night to recap whatever that game is going to be. I don't know how excited we're going to be going into it, but maybe we'll be in a better mood than we are now. For Mike and for Micah, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.